Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy. I'm Chuck Morrison and this is... Leighton Allred and I suck. We're going <laughs> We're gonna get into some... Uh, before we get into the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, which is a, a very rich and complex topic as I yeah, discovered this week. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated, actually. Uh, let's go over some reader feedback. Let's hit a couple emails we got. All right, well, the, the first one I really liked actually comes from Josh, and uh, he talked about us doing some advertisements. He said he was very disappointed in our advertising. Yeah, yeah. That it's not difficult because you haven't done any. <laughs> <laughs> not only are we too lazy, we're too cheap. Yeah, I mean, uh, you actually want us to advertise. However, Josh, just for future reference, you did get us off our ass and we are actually starting to allow people to advertise with us. Right. So we have some commercials we're going to uh, break up yeah. the podcast with yeah. today. In in fact, uh, when uh, when push comes to shove, I think these commercials are going to pay our bills. Because haven't we made a lot of money on irreligiosity? Well, yes. Uh, members of the site may have noticed both our, you know, violate the word of wisdom and, and buy me a beer. Uh, yeah. yeah. That. Um, if you've noticed... Uh, Clearly, I've been clicking. On that. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you say no? That? No one's bought us any beers yet. Uh, that, that's that's <laughs> not surprising. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was my prediction when you put it up there. <laughs> and uh, also, um, you know, a way to get rich off of your uh, blog, your very popular blog with uh, multiple listeners. Yes, uh, is to put Google AdSense yeah. ads on there. Yeah. In fact, Charlie and I have made enough money where we've actually quit our jobs. Yeah, actually, um, going over uh, our revenue from the last eight months, we have made a total of $1.78 from Google AdSense. Yeah, yeah. this is why I'm moving to Mexico. Now, let me do some calculations here. $1.78 divided by 12. Wait, 8. 8. Divided by two. That that's twenty two cents a month, but we got to split that in half because two of us are doing the podcast. So that's eleven cents a month. Stunning. Oh yeah, stunning. In, uh, in fact, I bought myself a sucker this month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting until I get a total of ninety nine cents. I want to get the sucker with the gum inside of it. Ah, yes, that's my problem. I've never been very patient. You get. <laughs> Uh, one of the problems is our Google ads are all about Christian stuff. Yes, yes. And Mormon How, stuff. Now, really, if, if any of our listeners, all of our up to 10 listeners, come onto our site, do you really think any of them are going to click on the Bible Reformation? Yeah, or, uh, you know, Mormon chat for singles. Uh, <laughs> this Google AdSense was clearly not set up for sites that are parody, you know, that, that satirize other things. Nah. However, if you do go on there and click the site, think of all the money you'll be funneling from the Mormon chat sites and these Sodom and Gomorrah people into our pockets. You'll be lining our yes. pockets by Christian money. I think that's fantastic. I mean, if, if we had all of our listeners click every time they came onto our website, we, we might increase our revenues by five cents. We might double the money that we've made. Wow. I, I can't even fathom what I would do with 22 cents a month. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should just fire you and take all that 22 cents a month myself. Yeah, I'd like to see that happen. And our listener base would drop by at least one listener. <laughs> the dog <laughs> the dog exactly. <laughs> either that or the wife she might she might drop out of the uh, whole facebook thing <laughs> robin edwards wrote us um he doesn't like our name he says uh well he, he says your name i like it it's cool i like the connotations of it damn is it hard to spell <laughs> uh now you think it's hard to spell imagine me trying to say it when we first came up <laughs> with it can you say it now? Probably not, and I'm not even going to attempt it. 
that's part of our strategy to keep our uh, website and blog into a, as few hands as possible. Yes, yes. It would be absolutely detrimental to the world if people heard about irreligiosity. In fact, we are the Antichrist. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And as we all know, it takes a while for the Antichrist to build up steam, so we don't want to get too popular yeah, too quickly. can't have that. Uh, we got some more reviews, too. Yes, we did. In, in fact, uh, my favorite uh, comes from Not the Marimba, and he says, Our podcast is mostly good. However, the only thing stopping me from giving this five stars is the casual misogyny. And, uh, wow. Isn't that just like a woman? Yeah. Well, you know, I would like to point out that I'm a little bit offended by this. I punch men and women indiscriminately. It just right. takes maybe two punches for a woman to get the idea. You don't. <laughs> God. <laughs> you don't discriminate uh, in your punching no. preferences. Nope. It just takes a woman a little bit more. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to joke about this whole thing, and now you're <laughs> starting to piss me off. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't be a misogynist because my best friends are women. Yeah, yeah, well, you could say that, and I could say that I can't be a misogynist because over half the people I date are women. <laughs> uh, not the Marimba also doesn't like the homophobic jokes. Um, Oops, uh, let's just scratch that last comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, um, it's high-quality humor around here. Yeah, uh, I, all I have to say is, folks, it's the internet. You can't take stuff too seriously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, our first review, way back in August 25th, this is how long we've been since we've gone over these reviews. Yeah. Uh, it says, I love you guys. By Mithra Loves Jesus, the guy who mows my lawn. Um, no one mows my I don't even mow my lawn. Yeah. In fact, uh, please somebody come and mow Charlie's lawn. I it's should, getting bad. I should take a picture out. Clearly, they don't think that, they, that I... I'm telling the truth here. <laughs> uh, Flying Tom gives us our lowest rating ever, three stars. Yes, yes, actually. And uh, why is that? Because the humor is a little too juvenile, and I think Charlie's the reason for that. Now, <laughs> we've already <laughs> laid that claim to rest. That's very true. I'm not even going to argue with this. Um, implicit in, in Flying Tom's premise uh, is that it is possible to be too juvenile, and I would disagree. I would take issue with that premise. Yeah, I, I would like to point out how much money Borat grossed. Yeah. And uh, if a movie like Borat can gross that much, then I don't think humor has a limit on juvenility. So, so Borat is the bar that you're setting exactly. for your religiosity. Well, uh, pretty soon I'm going to be chasing you around butt naked trying to beat you up with a dildo. Was that what it was in the movie? I can't remember. Robin Finland, <laughs> moving on, says subscribe now. It's great. Five stars. It's like car talk for atheists. Isn't that great? Yeah, well, I kind of like that comment. I think uh, that should be our slogan from now on. That's nice. He um, he listens all the way from Helsinki, Finland, which I also don't know where it is. <laughs> Petty Girl says, true and funny, five stars. Hey, guys, I love this show. Uh, I think you guys are made for each other, so stop the fight to know who's better and get married soon. Uh, no, no. I think that's a little homophobic. How are we supposed to stay away from homophobic jokes <laughs> when, when our listeners <laughs> are... <laughs> like that? <laughs> I mean, really, we can't even keep our listeners from doing it. Budding Atheist also gives us five stars. Budding Atheist, that sounds painful. Well, he, he obviously hasn't taken from uh, our catchphrase of going atheist, but he's close. I truly appreciate the effort that the host put in this podcast. I think he is 
far and away overestimating the effort that we put in yeah, this Yeah, I, I would like to point out, obviously you didn't listen to the ANN where we both talked about how lazy we were that we wouldn't get off our asses and create a Facebook account. That's absolutely true. So, I, I'm sorry, you're just misled at this point. Hey, you know, I was uh, going through the uh, stats page and I found a link to Major League Gaming Forums. What where in they the have, world are they doing on a gaming forum talking about us? Uh, well... It's someone had posted something about does God exist? Is there a God on a gaming forum? And this was such a <laughs> popular topic that it it's now has like something like two thousand fifteen pages on. Jeez. On page two thousand and ten, so it was our buried link. somewhere in it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, someone had linked to our podcast. And last question it gives us a little mini review here. Okay, um, he says. In further research of some of the claims in this podcast, I've come across something just amazing. The two in the podcast are so cocksure of themselves, yet one openly admits he is lacking in terms of first-hand information. Now, hang on a second. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't listen to our deconversions. <laughs> <laughs> just because I uh, don't go to church doesn't mean I, I lack first-hand information. Yeah. I grew up in Utah. I have plenty of first-hand information. You're married to a Mormon woman. Jesus Christ. Your children are Mormon. <clears throat> I mean, um, yeah. really. I have first-hand information. Um, <laughs> he continues, whilst being so cocksure they are right, they make a very simple error in logic and reason. Oh, and he links to a, a fairmormon.org um, critique of the adieu criticism. Yeah. How can I take claims made by individuals who are poor in reasoning and logic serious? Do you have any credible sources, some that actually know what they're talking about, and we can be certain do not suffer from some type of personal issue with Mormonism which clouds their reasoning process? <laughs> Uh, this is the old Boyd K. Packer. Um, you can't criticize Mormonism unless you actually are a good, upstanding Mormonism. And Mormon. even when you are... So when you are a good, upstanding Mormon, you won't criticize, right? Yes, because that wouldn't be a good, upstanding Mormon. Absolutely. So it's a, a little bit of a circular well, argument. See, what I love is all the things we bring against Mormonism, he centers around the word adieu. He doesn't bring up any other claim. That is the one thing he right. brings up. Oh, they, they got up against a deal. He probably has a web page handy. So I went over to the web page, and here is the counter argument. Are you ready for this? Okay, hit me. It is that the word adieu did not appear on the plates. Now, I find that very fascinating because no one but Joseph Smith and a couple witnesses Right. Well, even they didn't in theory. They saw it. their spiritual life. They saw the spiritual life. Uh, so apparently, only Joseph Smith has actually handled the plates. So, so we don't have any real evidence that they even exist. Um, but this guy uh, apparently has seen the plates. Not only that, but he knows what Reformed Egyptian is, and he knows that it doesn't say adieu on the plates. Yeah, if he's Reformed read up that part. Man. If Reformed Egyptian is anything like real Egyptian, it's phonetic. People think hieroglyphs are. Uh, like the word, you know, the hieroglyph for a boat means boat. It doesn't. No. It's phonetic. It, it, it means uh, sound. That's why it took us so long to figure it out. Each hieroglyph uh, represents a certain phoneme or a certain sound. Mm -hmm. So how does this guy know that adieu was not written out in Reformed Egyptian on the plates? I'd love to see evidence about that. Well, obviously he's seen with his spiritual eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he says... The translator of a work can use words from any language he chooses in order to convey the meaning of the text to his readers. So that even if adieu had been a foreign word to Joseph Smith, there is nothing either unusual or problematic with his choosing that word in the translation. And he gives certain examples, like people translating Josephus or, or, or other things and, and using the word adieu. Now, can you see a problem with that argument? Uh, I can see many problems with that argument. <laughs> uh, the biggest problem 
is it is begging the question is circular reasoning. Implicit in the premise, right, is that this is a translation process. Uh, however, in order to accept that premise, you have to accept the conclusion. Because Joseph Smith got to the plates by the angel Moroni. He uh, translated the plates, not through natural translation processes, but through the Urim and Thummim, right? Yep. Uh, or if you believe Martin Harris, he looked into a hat uh, and didn't even have the plates with him, just a pair of rocks. Uh, so in order to believe that this actually was a translation, you have to believe in the existence of the plates, the angel Moroni, and you have to believe that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, because his translation was a divine process. So essentially, if you accept the premise, you're accepting the entire conclusion of Mormonism, and it requires you to accept the conclusion of Mormonism to accept the premise in the first place. So essentially, if you agree that Joseph Smith actually was translating off of plates of brass, you've essentially lifted your skirts and spread your legs for uh, Mormonism. You've given it all away. <laughs> well, see, what I love is a little bit further down, he actually, or this apologetics site, actually goes into that a dew is actually an English word and has been since the 14th century. And therefore, this is why it's not surprising that Joseph Smith used it, because it predates him. No, it's not surprising. <laughs> God, that's not even the argument. It's not surprising that he used it. Obviously, he was familiar with the word. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used it. They say, oh, it just means that uh, farewell until we meet with God. Well, wouldn't God have a, a sort of foresight to this and know it would be a problem with people well, and then use the words go with God or farewell until or sh well, maybe shalom which was a Hebrew word maybe God was looking down at Joseph while he was translating this and uh, who was it Hiram who was uh, writing it up God. Martin Harris Martin Harris uh, looking down on Joseph these that, that, that's a guy who has first-hand experience with Mormonism yeah <laughs> so he's looking down here yes yeah I've never been good with names we both know that. <laughs> But he's looking down, and maybe Martin Harris's hand was getting tired. So instead of saying, go with God, he just said, well, you know, right, adieu. 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 <laughs> adieu. That's oh. such, so ridiculous. So um, he's, he accuses us of making a uh, basic error in logic and reasoning. Uh, I, look, I'm going to put um, the, the guy's name is last question. I will say last question to you or any other Mormon that's out there listening. Leighton has broken his back trying to find some Mormon that will come on and defend any of these claims. Yes. Last question, if you or any other Mormon wants to come on here and talk to us about how stupid we are or how horrible we are in or logic and reasoning. Or how we don't have first-hand knowledge of the Mormon church, please. Now, don't say it on a major league gaming forum where we may or may not see it. Uh, why don't you take your thumb and surgically remove it from your Xbox 360 controller, stop playing Halo, and come on our site and talk to us. Yeah. Not, I mean, I will set up a special meeting just for you. If Absolutely. you are Mormon and you want to come in here and defend your beliefs to us with uh, statements that you don't think that we've come across yet, please do. Anytime. Anytime. Um, just flop on over to the site, uh, roll over your bag of Cheetos, <laughs> and uh, email us. We'd be happy to have you on. You don't even have to sit up for this because we understand how being whale-like can cause troubles. <laughs> Why do you do that? <laughs> Why do you go out of your way to piss people off? Because it's fun. <laughs> All right, let's go a little bit into the history of the Seventh-day Adventist. Um, uh, really, this started with the Millerite movement. Uh, William Miller was born in 1782. He's raised Baptist. Um, in 1786, when he was four, his family moved from, I think, Massachusetts to uh, Lowhampton, New York, which was the burned-over district, Yeah, uh, yeah. right in the middle of the Second Great Awakening. Um, do you know why it's called the burned-over district? 
haven't the foggiest idea. Because it was so heavily evangelized in this area that the fuel, uh, which are potential converts, had already been exhausted. Everyone was um, a member of something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that makes sense, actually, especially uh, in that part of the country where everybody was just making up their own religions. Right. Interestingly enough, um, Joseph Smith was in Palmyra, New York, uh, and he was raised around the same time. He was born in 1805 yeah. in the same area. Yeah, exactly. And, and once again, this, this draws quite the correlation between the Seventh-day Adventist and Mormonism. It, it's almost frightening how close together these two fit. Yeah, the, really, the, the similarities are uncanny. Uh, in 1812, um, Miller went in, I think, as a lieutenant and uh, became a captain during that war. Um, in the early 1800s, uh, he converted to deism. Uh, which just means basically that God created the universe and then left, right? He doesn't personally yeah. intervene. Somewhere around 1815, following the discharge from his service, he converted back to baptism. Um, he was a Baptist again. Uh, and probably uh, central in that reconversion was an experience that happened during the War of 1812 where uh, three or four people were killed um, around him, but Miller emerged unscathed. So it, it amazes me that every time something like this happens, all of a sudden everybody's paying a closer attention to what happens after death. And they always come to God and the hope that, hey, maybe I will continue onwards. And then they latch on to the closest thing that matches what they hope to happen. Well, you know, you go back to the religion of your youth, right? Yeah. He gives up this idea of a non-intervening God because it clearly God intervened for him, even though at the time he didn't believe God intervened but not for the other three guys who are most likely, given the area, very religious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow this makes sense in his head. Anyway, he goes back and does lots of uh, scripture study on his own. Now, Ellen G. White, who's later going to become the prophetess of yeah. the Seventh-day Adventist movement, uh, is born in 1827. Four years after that, 1831, Miller begins preaching in camp meetings that the second coming, right, the advent of Christ, would come in 1843. Now, the interesting thing to me is he supposedly studied the Bible very well. I mean, in fact, I'm sure during that period, everybody had a Bible open at most times during the day. Now, if you read Matthew 24, 36, as well as Mark 13, 32, it states, But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So, although God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are all one being, uh, God the Father is keeping it from his other personalities. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of an interesting um, side note because uh, Seventh-day Adventists are, are Trinitarians, right? They believe in the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to me, that, you know, uh, that always kind of threw me for a loop because there are a couple of places where, you know, Jesus gets baptized and God says, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's like, you know, God, don't break your arm <laughs> patting yourself on the back here. Yeah. Uh, behold myself, I'm well pleased in myself. Yes, yes. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm well pleased by myself. Let me send down my Holy Ghost in the form of a dove and pat myself on the back further. So, Right, here's where they all unite in one place, right, at the baptism of Jesus. Also, uh, Jesus says, <laughs> you can commit any blasphemies and you'll be forgiven. However, the one unforgivable sin is blaspheming against the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, at, at that point, you can see the Holy Ghost saying, Psst, hey, Jesus, we're the same person. Hey, dipshit, I'm in your head. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to this camp preaching, right? Yeah. Miller's in the camp. Uh, and between 
1831 and 1843, nearly a million people attended these camp meetings, right? Yeah. His devoted followers, who are called the Millerites, numbered somewhere between 50 and 100,000. Yeah, see, that's the amazing thing to me, is when the time came, there were 100,000 people sitting around waiting for the second coming of Christ to happen. Right, 100,000 people all on these hills so they get closer to heaven, but uh, we'll get up to that. Yeah. Uh, he based this interpretation, setting this date, on a reading of Daniel 8.14, which says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, uh, of course... The Seventh-day Adventists are literal interpreters of the Bible, right? Yes. And uh, yes. so Miller literally interprets those days into years. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, apparently arbitrarily decides that uh, the years start in 457 B.C. because that's when Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. So uh, 2300, uh, starting from the year 457 B.C. gives you 1843. You know what I love? The thing that strikes me the most about this whole prediction is the fact that just it, it just so happens to fall during his lifetime. Now, isn't don't, that Don't they always? Yeah. Don't they always? Yeah. We, we have um, doomsday prophecies going back to, I think, a clay tablet in 2800 B.C., which says, um, look at the youth today. They're horrible. Uh, the end of the world is nigh. <laughs> I wonder where I've heard that before. Oh, wait, all my growing up days. Speaking 5,000 years ago, we're in the last generation. All right, um, so so he puts this date at 1843. In 1836, Ellen G. White, who's now nine years old, uh, is running away from one of her schoolmates who uh, has a rock in her hand. <laughs> so I she's running story. away. I love this story. And uh, she looks back to see if she's gaining on her and gets a rock right in the face, right in the nose, breaks <laughs> her nose. Um, she falls to the ground, loses consciousness, bleeding all over the place. Now, she briefly regains consciousness. Um, someone apparently dragged her into this general store where a guy said, hey, you don't look so good. Your face is all smashed in. Uh, why don't you let me take you back to home in, in my carriage? And, you know, she says, oh, that's nice, but I don't want to soil your carriage with all my blood. <laughs> so she takes a couple steps, passes out again. She is out cold, comatose for three weeks. Yeah, that's The doctors come, isn't it, in the 1800s? Three weeks? Yeah. No IV fluids, no, no way of uh, maintaining her. She'd lost tons of weight. Your family said she was a skeleton this time. As a matter of fact, the doctors came... And they talked briefly about wiring her bones together uh, to kind of reconstruct her face, uh, but decided against it because they thought it would be a waste of surgery. Clearly she's going to die. Yeah. Now, the, the funny thing to me is because they didn't, this has got to be the most fugly woman in the world. I mean, her face was smashed in, and unless they broke those bones after she woke up and then reset them, she's basically got a crushed-in face from the time she's young till the time she died. Right. Um, she's not going to win any beauty pageants, unfortunately. No. But um, I guess back then it was more looking towards the religious side of things. You're right. you got to look in the inner surface of people, lately. Yes, yes. What's That's my problem. You? Is I always it's look always on the, the outer outside. surface. Yes, yes. So I read a fascinating article by a physician, I think written in the 80s, uh, where he theorized that, that her religious um, states, these um, visions and everything, may have been temporal lobe epilepsy. Now, if you get uh, your nose broken 
the, the orbital plates behind the eyes are very close to the temporal lobe. So you can get uh, damage to that temporal lobe causing temporal lobe seizures, temporal lobe epilepsies. And these epileptic seizures have a lot of the same characteristics that Ellen White herself wrote about. So it's an interesting theory. You know, it's impossible to prove, but uh, certainly would give you uh, a reason for having uh, spiritual experiences. Uh, in 1840, at age 12, Ellen, who's, I believe at this time, Ellen Harmon, I keep referring to her Ellen G. White, but her name is like Ellen Harmon at this time. Yeah, she doesn't get married for a little while, at least a year. But El Ellen and her... <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about the Mormons again. Uh, I get confused sometimes. Ellen, Ellen and her family become involved with the Millerite religion, right? Yeah. Um, this is widespread at this time. Uh, they become disfellowshipped by their Methodist church because of this involvement. Um, while attending a lecture uh, by Miller himself, she feels guilty for her sins, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, spends months in a state of prayer and tears. Uh, she's later baptized uh, into the Millerite religion and, and waits for Jesus' imminent return, right? It's going to come in between, I think, March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. But that's based upon the uh, rabbinical Jewish calendar. Well, of course. What, what else would you base it off of? Oh, right. <laughs> Clearly. Um, well, I hate to spoil it for you, but uh, March 21st, 1844, came and went, Jesus didn't return. Well, I, I hate to disagree with you, because I remember sitting in my American history class in, uh, in high school and actually hearing my teacher talk about how Jesus came down and he burned away all the wicked and then went back to heaven. Right, and we're, we're in the millennial time right now. Yeah. I remember yeah, exactly. that, too. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, high school history, because in United States history, my senior year, uh, we talked about the Millerite movement. I mean, this made this is famous, made it in the textbooks. Well, that's because it was a huge movement. I mean, I still can't believe that a hundred thousand people were gathering around to do this stuff. I mean, seriously. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. We're in March of 1844 now. All right. All right. Um, March 22nd uh, occurs, and uh, the world is still around. Um, so they moved the date to April 18th because they based it on the. Karaite Jewish calendar instead of the rabbinical Jewish calendar, right? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I guess that was the proper calendar. I hate it when I get my calendars mixed yeah, up. Yeah, clearly. So April 18th, that also comes and goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no shit, no what Jesus. What calendars do we have in the background? Jesus is apparently watching a movie at this time. Yeah. Fuck, I, I missed it again. Uh, well, the um, in August 1844, they're still wondering, right, what's going on. There's a camp meeting where Samuel S. Snow announces another date, right, yep. um, based upon his own interpretation. All these people are, are literally interpreting the Bible and somehow coming up with different interpretations. Um, <laughs> his date is October 22nd, right? So this one spreads like wildfire, right? Even yeah. Miller himself soon accepts the date as legitimate. Well, as I recall, Ellen was actually going along and prophesying along with these people that these were the dates that, that they were going to do. Absolutely. She's absolutely certain as well. Um, so this is a great anticipation. People sell their homes. They give away their possessions and their belongings. Some of them dress up in white robes, and they all go up to these hills, right, to be closer to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> this, this exactly reminds me about what happened in Y2K, the year 2000, when it was switching over. The complete pandemonium. Right, because the Bible predicted a computer glitch would cause a second coming. Yes, yes, of course. That, that, I, I remember reading that in... Uh, Oh, I don't know, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mark said, all ye operating systems which are not based upon the Linux kernel. 
will have serious problems. <laughs> Get a Mac is what he said at the very end. Well, I, I will admit something slightly embarrassing. When all of that was going on, just to be on the safe side, I went out and bought a case of 2,000 bullets for my rifle. Just, just in case. So that's something a little embarrassing, just to make sure. That is embarrassing. I can't believe you admitted that to all 23 of our listeners. Well, you know, one of us has to uh, come forward. I, I remember that, oh, wait, your wife has been stocking a year's worth of food and water for some time now. That's, that's not my wife. That's all Mormons. That's if true. you were a good Mormon, you'd be doing that too. Oh, that's my problem. Maybe if I should have spent all my money on stocking all this food instead of buying bullets. So October 22nd comes, they're all waiting on the hills, and the sun sets, and the sun rises. <laughs> this was called the Great Disappointment. Now people um, are just humiliated, because yeah. this isn't the first time this has happened either. Um, people have made fun of them before, and they keep believing. Um, what happens is there are court cases at the time where people are trying to get back their property. <laughs> Can they you go to their jobs. The discussion on the hills there is people are like, shit, the sun's oh my coming God. up. Where's Jesus? People, there, there are, are accounts where people lay uh, in bed weeping for, for two days. They're so disappointed. They're so crushed that Jesus hasn't come again. Um, people go back to their jobs, right, and say, please, can I have my job back? I'm sorry about <laughs> quitting and calling you a fucker before, but can I have my job back? Yeah, I didn't mean to pee in your soup, but... Uh, <laughs> So they don't learn by this. Um, a group called the Second Adventists uh, continued to put dates on this. 1845, 1846, 1847, 1849, 1851. Jehovah's Witnesses put a bunch of dates on there. They're wrong. Uh, unbelievable. But in, in 1845, uh, out of the ashes of this great disappointment come a bunch of groups, right? The first yeah. one that comes out uh, advocates the shut door policy. Um, they say, look, something had to happen uh, at this date. We couldn't have been wrong. And because nothing happened on earth, it had to happen in heaven. So what happened in heaven was Jesus Christ shut the door to salvation. No one but us small group of Adventists can be saved anymore. As a matter of fact, quit trying to convert people because <laughs> the door's closed. <laughs> I like that way of thinking. Quit trying to convert people. But I can just imagine their faces as a child was born and they're sitting there going, shit, God is an asshole. Yeah. He's letting this child be born, and it's just going to go straight to hell no matter what. First baby gets born, and are like, you're screwed. <laughs> In fact, I ain't even going to take care of you. You're the hell spawn here. You are screwed. My favorite uh, group of people is known as the Last Generation Theology. Now, they actually were refuted in the 1970s, but they're trying to make a comeback. And basically what the last generation theology states is that Jesus really was supposed to come back on the date predicted. However, it's because there weren't enough Christians that were worthy to have Jesus Christ come back. And so now they're all just waiting for enough people to become worthy for Christ to come down. It's the same sort of thinking as the Exodus. We're wandering around here because we're not righteous enough. You know, um, I understand that, but I'll tell you what really happened. All right. Uh, Jesus is waiting to come back on October 22nd, 1844, but he sees that they have uh, cracked his code. So he's up in heaven going, you goddamn assholes. I went to all that problem making the code. You fuckers crack it. I'm not, that's it. I'm not coming down. Have none of you read Acts 1-7 where he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority? 
That's no, it. you people, you people have figured out the Bible code. Screw you. Yeah, you I'm done what? with you. I, I'm gonna have a beer. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's what happened. They pissed him off. You cracked my code. Yeah, look, you know, that. it's this that's this victim um, theology that people can, you know, um, Lord is God. He's the greatest God. There is no other God. Uh, and the Babylonians come and they ransack Jerusalem and destroy the <laughs> temple and carry off all the treasure. Oops. Now, why would God allow that? He's the great God. And so now all the all the people in Babylon are slaves and they're thinking all these Jews. Uh, what happened here? Um, uh, oh, it must have been, we're not righteous enough. God is punishing us for not being righteous enough. That's God's what must an asshole. Happened. Couldn't he have sent, like, a letter to the leader saying, hey, dude, you know, uh, if you don't start being good, I'm going to kick your ass? Probably there were some prophets here and there, but everyone knows prophets are crazy. Yeah, that's No true. one listens to the prophets. That's Why doesn't he send up a, um, a leader saying, hey, I'm the king. Start getting in gear, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead, he sends these homeless people who eat grasshoppers. <laughs> Can't take those guys seriously. Well, speaking of eating grasshoppers and smashed faces, whatever happened to Ellen? Yeah, well, out of, uh, you know, out of the ashes of this great disappointment, um, uh, one of the uh, earlier groups, in addition to the shut door theology, which Ellen, by the way, also confirmed was true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it was true. Didn't last very long, but it was true. Um, Ellen G. White, who, who's now married to James White, who is convinced that her visions are real. She started having these visions uh, very closely, I think, after the Great Disappointment, maybe before. I think those two, James White and Ellen White and like, a couple other people, formed the Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, based upon the idea, which I think is a little more sophisticated than the shut-door theology, um, that what happened was, of course, a heavenly event because nothing happened on the earth at this time. Um, and what happened was Jesus uh, ended his second ministry, and he began this ministry in heaven where um, they're going to begin the investigative judgment. So apparently all the angels um, are reading the book of life and investigating that and vindicating God and saying, um, wow, you're right, God, these people actually were evil, and these people actually were good. Now, that just strikes me as absolutely hilarious, because supposedly God's supposed to be omniscient. So if God is omniscient, why is it he can't just say, oh, you were bad, you were bad, you were good, you were good, uh, you were kind of good? <laughs> I think that's what he did, but the angels are um, uh, going through an investigation to vindicate God. Well, once again, this is just God getting a pat on the back, saying, hey, you're, you're doing a great job, keep it up. Yeah. Uh, what if the angels find out that God's wrong? <laughs> what if this investigative judgment finds a couple errors, right? Oh, God, that would be hilarious. I'd love to be the angel who had to bring that to God. Um, God, I, I found something. <laughs> so um, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist movement is born. Okay, now I apologize uh, to our audience, but we're um, uh, because of Joshua's statement, we actually found a sponsor for our um, podcast, and we're going to have to play that for you right now, now. Unfortunately, to bring up revenues in irreligiosity once a week on our hourly podcast, we will need to break for our sponsors. So this is an apology, but we need to pay the bills around yep. here. we got to pay the bills. Here it goes. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to increase traffic to your website and or blog? Why, yes. 
Besides World of Warcraft, Dungeons and Dragons, Cheetos, and my imaginary girlfriend, that's all I ever think about. Great. Have we got a deal for you. If you advertise right now on Irreligiosophy, we can guarantee as many listeners as you have fingers. Toes not guaranteed. Four, five... Ah, shit, my other hand is busy right now, but sweet Jesus, that's more friends than I've ever had. And remember, each listener represents two ears. And unlike your friends, family, and imaginary girlfriend, they'll actually listen to you. That's more than I've ever hoped for, or dreamed of. Tear. Then get off the couch, go upstairs, and get your mom's credit card right now. I sure will, just as soon as I finish evicting these testicular squatters. Uh, I'm done. Great. Now put your brother's sock back in his drawer and order now. Advertise for as little as three easy installments of $19.95 per ear. Excludes Canada and Mexico. Clients with previous experience and occupations hazards to fingers preferred. Known side effects from advertising on irreligiosophy include penile and or vaginal discharge and fecal leakage. If you exhibit these symptoms, please report to your local Catholic priest for a thorough examination. Past performance, not indicative of future results. All right, some of you may have noticed that that was actually a commercial for irreligiosophy. Now, one thing we have never done here on irreligiosophy is claim that we are bright. <laughs> <laughs> you may be wondering why we are sponsoring our own site. <laughs> I think the reason why is because we understand that at our site we get quality listeners and it is those 10 that will want to advertise on their own sites. Well, you may have noticed that we are so cheap here on Irreligiosophy, we haven't spent a dime on advertising, that we actually didn't even hire any actors for this. Do you think they'd notice that that's our voices on there? No, no, no. Anybody who listens to our podcast would never be able to pick our voices out. All right, continuing on to Seventh-day Adventism. Let's, uh, let's depart from Ellen G. White um, for a minute. Let's talk about their beliefs. We'll go over their beliefs. Then we'll go back and discuss whether Ellen G. White was actually a prophetess or not. How about that? Sounds good to me. Now, um, one more side note. Uh, 1849 is when Miller dies, still expecting the imminent return of Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't blame him because... Here we are 160 years later, and there's no change. Everyone still expects Jesus to come back any minute like a thief in the night. Yep, yep, makes sense to me. Anytime now. Yep, I'm still waiting. I still think, I still think he's pissed off at cracking the code. He thought he was so ingenious to make that code and turn the days into years, <laughs> and William Miller cracked it. Well, we all know how God is slow to anger, but God damn, when he gets angry... You better watch your ass. He can carry a grudge. <laughs> 160 years later, he's still carrying a grudge. So now we're going to talk about the 28 fundamental beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> All right, so we've got this, these creeds that they do before the fundamentals in and of itself, which is kind of funny because these uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they actually state that the first step of apostasy is to put out a creed and then judge people by the creed. But... Not only do they have 28 fundamentals that you're supposed to live by, but they have like an offshoot of about six or seven just things that they want to state about their church. And, and one of my favorites is this. God's greatest desire is for you to see a clear picture of his character, and when you see him clearly, 
you will find his love irresistible. Yeah, very irresistible. Let's just go through some of these uh, verses that allow you to make, uh, to, to get a better feel of God. You know, that is a good idea. How about uh, Leviticus 14, uh, 6-7? This is uh, God's cure for leprosy. Are you ready? I'm ready. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. <laughs> now, I've actually seen that done. Thank you. I've done it. Yeah. It instantly cures them once I pronounce them clean. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that cure for leprosy instead of telling them that it's actually a mycobacterium. Now, see, that would go against God's uh, whole plan, because if he pointed out that you should wash your hands, a lot more people would be alive. You know, wash your hands, stay away from rats yeah. during the plague, you know. Instead, he's exchanging bodily fluids with a bird. Yeah, that yeah, makes perfect sense. How about Numbers 22, uh, 20 through 30? And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? So apparently he smote him in, in the ass. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would that there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. So there's Balaam talking to his ass. <laughs> Or the God, I guess, is talking out of Balaam's ass? Uh, well, th there's some sort of ass and God in the same sentence, and that makes sense to me. That is God's true character. <laughs> or how about this loving statement, Deuteronomy 23.1? Uh, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. <laughs> what the? Well, I've been it's okay the to... ball several times, so I guess that means I've got no chance of making it into heaven. God's so uh, focused on these genital parts that it's okay to, to cut your privy member, that you cut the foreskin off, but don't kick yourself in the balls. And certainly, if you have your privy member wounded, say, when you're fighting against the Moabites, uh, sorry, you're out. Yeah. Now, as I recall, wasn't there some sort of statement about a uh, two men fighting and yep. that a, a woman comes this in? Is, this is my favorite. All right. All right. This is Deuteronomy 25.11. When men strive together one with another, and the wife of one draweth near for to, to deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth forth her hand, and taketh him by the secrets, then thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. <laughs> now that is a loving God. Here this woman is coming forward to help her, her husband out, who's obviously getting his ass kicked, and her hand needs to be chopped off in payment. Yeah, and you shouldn't pity her either, right? She's just trying to help out her husband, and God says, oh, uh, you grabbed his balls, your, your arm's going to be cut off. Yeah. Cut off your hand and don't pity her. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what happens if she does it again, and then she's got just a couple stumps. Now, this is the, <laughs> this is the word of the Lord, right? Yeah. Um, now, isn't the word of the Lord shockingly similar to some person who is writing this, who perhaps a week before was in a fight with another guy in the tribe, <laughs> and his wife came in and grabbed him by the balls? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course obviously demasculinated him right in front of the entire tribe. And so now he's like, 
so pissed off that he goes and right. It's just very, very similar, strikingly similar to a pissed off guy instead of the Lord of yeah, Heaven. Yeah. And people call me a misogynist, <laughs> the creator of the universe. <laughs> God's an even bigger misogynist. You don't touch those marbles. All right. So going on to the twenty-eight fundamentals. Um, number one is Holy Scriptures. Two is uh, Trinity. There is one God. Three is Father. Four is Son. Five is Holy Spirit. Aren't two through five all the same thing? Yeah. Quit inflating your beliefs. Well, and not only that, but we've already kind of covered that God is always talking to himself. And you know what? I've got a theory on that. I think that God knew that WWF wrestling was going to come and be big in the future, and he was just getting in on it a little bit early. It's like, yeah, the God will put the smack down on Friday. So Jesus is talking about himself in the third person, prophesying the WWF. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, that is exactly uh, on par with the rest of these um, literal interpretations of the Bible. It makes sense, doesn't it? Let's talk about number eight, the great controversy. All right, the great controversy. This is one of my favorite. And uh, this is... Uh, the conflict originated in heaven when a created being endowed with freedom of choice in self-exaltation became Satan, God's adversary, and led into rebellion a portion of the angels. So, you know, the common Satan myth. Yes. Now, uh, what I love is, is this statement right here. Observed by the whole creation, this world became the arena of the universal conflict, out of which the God of love will ultimately be vindicated to assist his people in this controversy Christ sends the Holy Spirit and the loyal angels to guide, protect, and sustain them in the way of salvation. Once again, why would it say Christ is sending the Holy Spirit if they're all the same being? Wouldn't it just say that Christ is coming down as the Holy Spirit? Well, they're different phases of the same being. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, well, that is prophetic because that describes exactly the TV show Touched by an Angel. Yes, and uh, I was often touched by an angel. <laughs> uh, appropriately touched? Well, give me a doll. I'll show Good you. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> now that uh, great controversy sounds remarkably like Zoroastrianism. Really? What a surprise! Yeah, and they don't even realize this. This, uh, you know, Zoroastrianism was was founded by this wandering, you know, prophet in quotes. Um, of course, it's always a wandering prophet. Zoroaster who, who was wandering around somewhere between the eighth to sixth century BCE. And uh, he believes that there is uh, one creator and, and a supreme force that rules over all the creations, and his name was Uhura Mazda. This might be why it wasn't very popular. It's too hard to pronounce. Well, that and the cars always broke down. There. <laughs> uh, Uhura Mazda is in like this eternal struggle with the bad guy. Um, his name is not Satan. Uh, it is... Hey, that, that, he must be wrong. Angra Mainyu, or Ariman. Uh, and eventually... <laughs> The forces of light uh, overcome the forces of darkness. There'll be a, a purge of evil from the earth, uh, and you know, then there'll be like this kind of paradise, and when you, you be in this perpetual exaltation of God's glory, and everyone who's good yeah. and on the side of good will we'll sing well, him. See, yeah, yeah, um, sound a little bit like Christianity? Hmm, just a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, it's very. Uh, it's kind of a. Um, very nice idea. Yeah. You know, we're we're in battle. It's you know, it uses the war metaphor. So uh, that's the great controversy, uh, swiped straight from Zoroastrianism. Well, one of the last things, and we're not going to cover very many of these 28 fundamental beliefs, is just because they are boring as hell. 
for the most part. But yeah, they're they're excruciating. Yeah, excruciating. I don't know. I don't know. They're kind of like the thirteen articles of faith in Mormonism. Oh God, I had to memorize those as a twelve-year-old. I wonder if it's the same thing. In order to become a Seventh Day Adventist, you've got to memorize their twelve fundamentals. Twenty-eight fundamentals. <laughs> Twenty-eight fundamentals. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites, it actually spans about three of their fundamentals, and it begins on number 25, where it says, When Christ returns, the righteous dead will be resurrected, and together with the righteous living, will be glorified and taken to heaven. Now, see, this is, this is interesting, because this brings up one of their other beliefs, which is there really is no soul, right? Yep. So when you die, you enter into this sleep or comatose state, much like Ellen G. White did after smashing the face of the rock. Yeah. And and eventually, when Christ comes back, he'll resurrect everyone, right? So the good people are woken up, and they become nice little angels, right? What happens to the evil people that are asleep for a long time? Well, well, first, all the unrighteous will die. So God is going to come in. He's going to raise up all the righteous living and the righteous dead. And then the unrighteous people that are still on the earth and the unrighteous dead are going to remain dead. But he's going to kill everybody in the world. All right, so he kills... <laughs> is that kind of the rapture? He just comes and kills everybody, righteous yeah. and unrighteous alike? Yeah, he just kills everybody who he doesn't feel is righteous enough. Now, in 26, it states the second resurrection, the resurrection of the unrighteous. So at this point, he's going to raise everybody up, and it's going to be a thousand years after he comes. So basically, he's going to kill everybody off. A thousand year la years later, he's going to resurrect them all again. And can you guess why he's going to resurrect them? So that everyone can be happy and live um, happily ever after. That's, that's very close. However, in their 27th fundamental belief, the unrighteous dead will then be resurrected and with Satan and his angels will surround the city, but fire from God will consume them and cleanse the earth. So God kills them, he resurrects them, and then he kills them again. <laughs> <laughs> there is precedent for this in the Exodus. He did the exact same thing to the cows. Well, of course. We already covered that. I mean, <laughs> what is it with God and killing and raising things so he can kill them again? I mean, really. He's such a douchebag. Why can't he just let them sleep? Why can't he kill them in their sleep, right? They can have this massive aortic dissection or cerebral hemorrhage or heart attack in their sleep, right? Yeah. He just obliterates them in their sleep. No, he's got to wake them up, make sure they're alive, and then fucking kill them again. <laughs> Not only make sure they're alive. But throw them in with Satan, and so all of them are looking around going, ah, shit, I chose the wrong way. And so all of them are scrambling up, trying to get into the city of God, and God's looking down and goes, ha, sons of bitches, here you go, have a little fire. Yeah, he is a total, total asshole. He is a douchebag. <laughs> all right. Um, that, I think, is one of the things that all Christian sects have in common, that they believe in this massive cosmic bully. Yeah. Um, no matter what type of Christian you are, God is an asshole. I yeah. mean, there's there's no getting around it. All right, you had some. Um, let's talk about um, Mrs. Ellen G. White. She's one of the foundational um, characters in the Seventh Day Adventist movement. Oh, very much. So. Um, she apparently never claimed to be a prophet or a prophetess, but she said something like, "I am more than a prophet." Like the word prophet doesn't encompass all the stuff that I do. So, um, uh, do you have um, some prophecies? Like the the common the, the Mormons right now have a prophet seer and revelator that has neither prophesied, seen, nor revelated ever. <laughs> yeah. 
See, that's what I love about Mormonism is they've got a prophet, so someone with a direct line to God, and yet he never makes any prophecies. All he ever does is in their general conferences, he talks about the same thing over and over. Right. I'd like to see them have – I think deep down inside, they know themselves that they're not prophets. They're not any better than anybody else. They don't have a direct line to any supreme being, and they um, – their their foremost thought in their head is to maintain their power structure, yeah. and anything that would go against that would be detrimental. So if you make a prophecy, uh, then you're putting yourself on the line, and you're putting all the Mormonism on the line. And deep down inside, they know that's not the case, so they will not put themselves on the line. All they say is, be nice to your husband, be nice to your wife, um, be honest, don't gamble, don't look at online porn, don't masturbate, all that stuff, right? They don't prophesy. They don't make any prophecies anymore. So we know that Ellen G. White was a prophetess. What prophecies did she make? Oh, some of my favorites are... So she has more balls than Thomas Monson. Yes. Yeah, oh, this woman has some balls. Now listen to some of these prophecies. Now, she actually prophesied that she would be alive at Jesus' second coming. However, when she died on July 16, 1915, and nothing happened, do you think that prophecy came true? <laughs> <laughs> you know, even better than that one. Um, she prophesied that a member of uh, one of her gatherings in 1856 would not die before the second coming of Christ. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next one. I was going to go to that one. Well, how, how about this one-upmanship? Ellen, you have learned nothing from William Miller. <laughs> nothing! Oh, I've got a better one. The Civil War is a sign that Jesus is about to return. <laughs> or how about God, this one? God, he's taking his time. She actually stated that England was going to come over and attack the U.S. during the Civil War. She prophesied that. Nicely done. Yeah, my last and favorite one is the Earth would be depopulated soon after 1864. Uh, I could have sworn that we were getting into an overgrowth population at this point. Now, my favorite thing is uh, there's there's kind of an argument going back and forth. There's a church call, out there called A True Church. And on their website, they say that the Seventh-day Adventist has its faulty foundation in the teachings of a woman, Ellen G. White. Now, can you guess why they're, they're putting down Ellen as a prophet? I can't imagine. Yes, yes. Perhaps 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14 would give us an idea. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So this is actually, this a true church is coming out there and stating that Seventh-day Adventism is completely wrong because they're following a woman. I, I agree They're following that. a woman. <laughs> well, look, um, before everyone gets their panties in a knot, um, that was from which scripture? That was 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. Now, it is nearly universal consensus among scholars that both Timothys and Titus were second century forgeries in the name of Paul. They didn't actually, they weren't actually written by Paul. So Paul here is not the misogynist. It's the second century forgeries. Well, wait, um, wait, wait. You're shooting yourself in the foot at this point because most people who believe in a literal translation of the Bible do not believe that there's anything wrong with it. Therefore, scholars are wrong. I suppose you're right. You can either believe in a literal Bible and both God and Paul were misogynists, or you can believe modern scholarship that says, uh, you know, there was a big... Uh, argument in the second century when, you know, in the first century, there were mostly, um, these uh, meetings were mostly taking place inside people's homes. And some of the meetings were taking place in wealthy female members' homes. And inside those homes, 
uh, women held sway. Men held sway outside in the public sphere, but inside that home, the woman ruled. In the second century, when you moved out into the public sphere and you start having uh, areas in the public where people get together, well, that's man's domain. And so now they're having this big backlash against it. But remember, in, I believe, Romans, Paul uh, mentioned one of the apostles was Junia. Now, people, that's a female name. People have translated that, you know, um, with different letters to make it a male. But the original Greek, it's female. So they had an apostle, early Christianity. Uh, according to Paul, the real Paul uh, was an apostle, female. So I, uh, I reject that entirely. Well, you um, reject it, but you don't believe in a literal translation of the Bible, whereas others out there do. Yeah, I believe it's all garbage. But you're right. If you literally believe in the Bible and you believe that First and Second Timothy and Titus were inspired, then you have to believe that uh, women cannot have authority over a man. And basically they should keep their mouth shut in church, yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly that's what it's stating there. And it, I, I find it funny that these other churches who do believe in a literal translation still believe this about women in this day and age. It's just kind of shocking. Well, you're locked if you're um, a literal. You're right. If you're uh, literally interpreting the Bible, you're locked into that view. Um, horrible. But we have other reasons for saying um, Ellen G. White was probably not a prophet. One of those is a charge of plagiarism. Yeah, now this one's a pretty hefty charge against her. It has been conclusively proven um, that she has, uh, ever since 1889, this, this stuff, there was a newspaper article, uh, the Healdsburg Enterprise, March 20th, 1889, um, <laughs> uh, saying that she is a plagiarist. She's still alive at this time. Um, and they'll take stuff out of, say, the great controversy written by Ellen G. White, which she says... These are my own ideas. I got this, uh, these ideas from God. I saw this in vision and I wrote it down, right? Yeah. Um, there was a book that predated her called The Sanctuary. Uh, let me read you from A Great Controversy. All right. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, having taken an offering from the congregation, went into the most holy place with the blood of this offering and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat. Uh, how about this uh, from The Sanctuary? On the Day of Atonement, the priest, taking an offering from the people, appeared with the blood of this general offering for the people and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat. <laughs> I'm sorry, I see no significance between those two passages. That is completely wrong. Ellen, therefore, is the winner. How about this one? Spirit of Prophecy, number four. Uh, it was a law among them that all who entered the ministry should, before taking charge of a church at home, serve three years in the missionary field. History of the Waldenses. It was an old law among them that all who took orders in their church should, before being eligible for a home charge, serve three years on a mission field. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Maybe my belief in Ellen is just getting a little shaky at this point, but if that's all you got, I, I just can't. I can't. Swear. Spirit of Prophecy 4. Many called to mind the scene of our Savior's trial when Annas and Caiaphas, before the judgment seat of Pilate, demanded the death of him that perverted the people. From Debogny's history... Many were reminded of Annas and Caiaphas going to Pilate's judgment seat and calling for the death of this fellow who perverted the nation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Now I'm seeing a little bit of plagiarism here, but only a little bit. I, 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 maybe she is, maybe she is, and we can't prove anything. Now look, a former pastor, a former Seventh-day Adventist pastor called Walter Ray, um, wrote a book called The White Lie, where he takes the great controversy and breaks it down chapter by chapter uh, <laughs> and shows where these were all... Um, in larger and small, plagiarized with uh, from other authors of the time. Now, so these were these were her quote revelations, right? Well, she also has health revelations, much like Joseph Smith, right? He had the word of wisdom, 
In the word of wisdom, he says, avoid coffee and tea. Don't smoke alcohol. Um, strong drink and wine are, are bad for the belly. Uh, you need to exercise, that sort of thing, right? Yep, yep. Common 19th century wisdom. Oh, very good. Well, Ellen White has a revelation. Now, here, here's the, the kind of <laughs> background of this. She's very, very involved in, in health reform uh, in this era. She has this revelation stating, don't drink coffee and tea, um, don't drink alcohol, exercise, cut down on salt, you shouldn't eat meat, right? Even though she, there's a letter later on, like two years after this revelation, where she talks about eating duck. <laughs> um, but she also plagiarized this. Now, a lot of people say, you know, she, she was involved with a Dr. Jackson because her son had pneumonia, and they uh, got all these writings from Dr. Jackson. And a couple months before her revelation, her husband, James White, published a review of his writings. <laughs> and then she has this revelation, right? Um, and then she goes later on to visit him, and uh, he pronounces a diagnosis of hysteria. He didn't believe that she was really a prophetess, so he diagnosed her with hysteria. And Dr. Jackson, I'd believe that diagnosis if you can prove to me anywhere in the 1800s, right, that he has ever diagnosed a male patient with hysteria you bastard well, you misogynist we, bastard we all know that women are prone to hysteria and men have stronger constitutions <laughs> clearly right they're the weaker sex and they're prone to they're prone to fainting spells well, that's and, and why hysteria. we got fainting couches duh oh my god so he diagnosed her with hysteria well let me let me um not only jackson but she plagiarized from lb coles directly let me read you from ellen g white's Christian temperance in 1890, right? Uh, it is as truly a sin to violate the laws of our being as it is to break the Ten Commandments. That's page 53. Now, this from L.B. Coles, who wrote Philosophy of Health in 1853, 37 years before Christian temperance. It is as truly a sin against heaven to violate a law of life as it is to break one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> well, I'm starting to see some similarities between her writings and others' writings here. How about testimonies? She wrote from 1868 to 1876. The sympathy which exists between the mind and body is very great. When one is affected, the other responds. L.B. Cole's Philosophy of Health, 1853. The sympathy existing between the mind and body is so great that when one is affected, both are affected. I mean, and on and on and on and on. Um, massive amounts of plagiarism. Now, one of the uh, defenses that the Seventh-day Adventists will say is that, you know, A, she was in control of her sources. Her sources weren't in control of her, right? Oh, of course, of course. I Even love though that. She never cited the sources. They'll say, oh, that's common, common practice, right, that you wouldn't cite your source in the 1800s. Uh, <laughs> I love the excuses that come out afterwards when she herself is flat out stating that these are her own revelations. Right. And then that she got them from God and not from anyone else. Well, let me read you. Jeremiah 23 from the Old Testament. This is starting at verse 29. Is not my word like a, as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, that's a literal translation of the Bible there. Hmm. Uh, clearly, you know, the sin of plagiarism or, or literary theft you know, didn't exist in the 1800s because, my God, Jeremiah was what, in like the 4th or 5th century B.C.? Yeah. Come on, people. God himself says not to steal stuff from other people. Well, you know what's interesting is this kind of leads into an interesting uh, email and controversy that was going through the Seventh-day Adventist church 
back in 1996. And basically what it was about is this woman writes in to the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist uh, kind of web page and states, you know, uh, this is something very interesting because when I signed on as a Seventh-day Adventist, I didn't have to uh, state that I believed in Ellen G. White as a prophecy or as a prophetess. And then she goes on to state that the, the new followers who come into the church are now being forced to state this. And so her question was, is it necessary to believe whether she was a prophetess to be an SDA? So the response that actually comes from this is uh, the core fundamental beliefs, doctrinal framework, the minimum one must believe in order to be accepted as a member in the fellowship of the church and to remain as a good member in a good and regular standing is that they have to believe in these fundamentals. Now, number 18 of the actual fundamental states, the, this gift of prophecy is an identifying mark of the remnant church and was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. So we've got a bit of a controversy here where early on in 1996, these Seventh-day Adventists, they couldn't decide whether or not they were forcing their members to believe in Ellen G. White or not. However, it seems to me that in today's day and age, despite all the plagiarisms and all the prophecies that she got wrong, they are now stating that she was a prophetess and you have to believe her in order to be a member in good standing. So, uh... One of one of our favorite topics here on here, religiosity. Yes, in, in fact, it's one of our listeners' favorite topics too, because they always point to it when we talk about the Mormons. Is masturbation? Yes, and and thank the good Lord Jehovah, <laughs> Ellen White actually wrote on masturbation. She was a prophetess on masturbation. Now she says, and I quote: "If this practice is continued from the age of fifteen and upward, is that right, Layton? How about uh, with you so far? A little younger, yeah." <laughs> Nature will protest against the abuse she has suffered and continues to suffer and will make them pay the penalty for the transgression of her laws, especially from the ages of 30 to, 30 to 45. My God, I'm 37. I'm right in between this age. What's going to happen to you if you, well, you obviously masturbate. Here we go. You've got hairy palms. By numerous pains in the system and various diseases, such as affection of the liver and lungs, neuralgia, rheumatism, affection of the spine, diseased kidneys and cancerous humors. Some of nature's fine machinery gives away, like the little um, factories, the little right? factories going off. Uh, le leaving a heavier task for the remaining to perform, <laughs> which disorders nature's fine arrangement, and there is often a sudden breaking down of the constitution, and death as a result. I will not live past 45. So, is she trying to tell me that because I masturbate that my marbles are going to shrivel up and then my heart's going to have to take over my marbles job? She didn't mention marbles, but she did mention nearly every other organ in the body. <laughs> You want to talk misogyny? Here she goes. All right. Females possess less vital force than the other sex and are deprived very much of the bracing, invigorating air by their indoor life. <laughs> the result of self-abuse in them is seen in various diseases, such as catarrh, dropsy, headache, loss of memory and sight. I thought blindness was common to everyone. <laughs> I'm thinking she's just going to name hysteria here very soon. Great weakness in the back and loins affections of the spine, and frequently, inward decay of the head. <laughs> Cancerous humor, which would lie dormant in the system in their lifetime, is inflamed and commences its eating destructive work. The mind is often utterly ruined, and insanity supervenes. So women just go crazy, I guess. Yeah, well... Uh, Cancerous humor. What, is she in the Middle Ages? <laughs> 
See, what I love is that she pointed out that the lower back and loins lose strength. Um, I would think they would gain strength with that. Well, this is where we're competing with the Mormons. If those little factories are in there, it would gain strength. It would gain strength. Right? But in the Seventh-day Adventists, it weakens? It weakens. Oh, oh. And your kidneys and your liver and your spine, and eventually you go crazy or die. So my choice is to You're... join the Mormons and constantly spew as the cycle goes <laughs> onward, or join the Seventh-day Adventists and just go crazy. Well, women will go crazy. Yeah. You will um, I'm suddenly... I'm very in touch with my feminine side. You, oh, then your brain will be eaten out from inside. Sounds about right. And you'll be insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that's the... <laughs> that's the Seventh-day Advent, or at least Ellen G. White's view on masturbation. So let's wind it up here. Our views, um, or our... Th this, this topic of Seventh-day Adventism is amazingly complicated. Very, yes. very complex, very diverse. We've only given a very superficial treatment um, of this topic. There are um, a wide variety of views, uh, even within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and there are a couple different denominations, and every kind of um, pastor has their own uh, ideas. So, yeah, Really, at best, we've just poked holes in a couple of things. Right. There's no way we can do justice to this whole thing. What we'd like to do is find an actual Seventh-day Adventist, have them on the show, and just interview them about what they believe, and, and maybe their responses to some of these things that we've brought up. Yeah. Now, that will uh, actually be my mission here for the next couple months, is I will be looking for any Seventh-day Adventist who would like to come on here and discuss their beliefs, why they believe them, and why these things that we're bringing up are wrong. So anybody out there who could help me out in this, I would be very much obliged. Absolutely. And uh, after that, I actually never want to talk about Seventh-day Adventism again, because <laughs> all the research is gone. All the research on this has nearly driven me crazy. Yeah. I think what I'm going to do is go um, masturbate some more so that I can uh, clear your thoughts, uh, clear my thoughts, and harm my liver and internal organs, <laughs> and um, gradually die. So, what do we got on tap for next week? Next week, actually, uh, you came up with a great idea where Big Love actually does. I'd like a to point out. I'd like to point out that all the great ideas of this podcast are mine. Well, I would like to point out that you're a lazy son of a bitch, but uh, we're not pointing out things at this moment. We're talking about what's on tap for next week. Every great idea has been mine. No. Basically, Big Love actually does a show on the temple itself, the Mormon temple. And so Charlie and I are going to watch the show as best we can, and then we're going to do an entire commentary on it and do some research and bring together what the Mormon church and LDS temple is all about and what Big Love had to say about it. Absolutely. Neither neither of us have been in the temple, so we're going to have to do some research on the web and, and find out, because Mormons won't tell you. No. They, won't, they, they take oaths uh, not to tell you in the temple. So we're going to have to do some research and find out how accurate this is and what we can learn from the Mormon temple ceremony of salvation. Yeah. Well, I think our best source of research is to drug up your wife with some truth serum and then just start interrogating her. Yeah, a little sodium pentothal never hurt anyone. It actually feels good after a while. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.